Hey there, this is Kevin Pascal and you're tuning to the Hinted Neuron Podcast. On this week's episode, you hear me talk with Jonathan Mazaria, the author of Society, the World in Which We Live. We talked about society, we talked about human nature, we talked about simulations, we talked about a whole lot of things and he's a brilliant person and someone I will have more conversations with in the future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review with 5,000 Apple Podcasts and also follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you have any questions, comments or concerns. And now, here's my conversation with Jonathan Nazaria. So I'm here with Jonathan Nazaria. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Hey, it's been an honor. Thank you for, invited, for inviting me on here. I've always wanted to be on a podcast, but I haven't had the opportunity yet. So this is going to be a great experience. What's our first topic for today? Yeah, so um, you know, because you are... A self-published author, and I you you mentioned you're 17 years old, and <laughs> I know that not not a lot of um, 17 year olds are all around writing books at that age. So I I think my first um my first question would be what inspired you to you know get started writing and publishing this book. So the reason why I decided to start to write a book and really to publish it was I didn't want to work at my pizza shop. Honestly, it was kind of a family joke. You could always go off and at the pizza shop so i decided i didn't want to do that and a book just seemed like the easiest way to convey my message since i could occasionally put words to paper in somewhat form sentences so i decided i have something in my head why not write it because not everything comes as easily to people because of how each brain works and how subjectivity works in general relativity all combined together yeah i, I think that was really interesting you said something about your message your message are you trying to pass the what what what, what, uh, what are the messages you are trying to get out to people? I want to convey the message, hopefully, not necessarily just of growth mindset, but the idea of it take that everything's a cycle, if you will, and that in that you're going to need to give up what you have to get what you want to get, but you can't have physically everything. There's always going to be a downside to something, no matter how hard you try. To make everything an upside, there's always an equal force. What you mean is that, um, but as we are in this life, that we we can't get anything. So it means if I'm I'm striving for something, it means I have to drop something. Is that what you mean? Yeah, you have to give up something. So let's say I want to get more muscle, I would need to put time into the gym. If I if I want to do that, I also need to eat more. Let's say I want to go um go earn more money at a job. I would need to either work more hours or learn to work harder. So you're putting something down, which is essentially your time in most cases, to get something more out of it. And all that depends on your value inside your head on whether you choose to give that up or whether you choose to keep your life the way it is. Yeah, that, that sounds really cool. And apart from that main point, apart from that concept, what are our main thesis where you're trying to pass along? Um. This book isn't going to be like normal self-help books. It is a give what you get mindset, which is again, promoting that same cycle. So I'm not going to say, here's your answer to life. I'm going to say, um, here's some ideas and here's some things that have happened in the past. What can you do with that? And how can that influence you? It has a lot of, it has poetry sections before each chapter to convey a sense of feeling and a sense of self within the read itself. So it doesn't feel like, I'm talking to you, but more of talking with you and that person holding your shoulder. That's like, we're going to get through this and you're going to get to where you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really interesting because I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm big on poetry too. So I, I just love the fact that you mentioned that the, uh, you have this bit of poetry before every single chapter in the book. That sounds nice. What, what, what books did you read that inspired you to put those kind of, um, style into your own writing i didn't read any books that had a lot of style i actually don't like reading that much conveniently <laughs> enough so it's a journey yeah I, I think that was really amazing though because for me I, I used to assume that to to write a lot means you have to read a lot and and it's super interesting i mean you know i'm saying you, you don't actually read that much but you have because you must be some kind of um how would I put it? Maybe genius level um, person where ideas just flush into your head so much. You have to like pen them down. You don't have to like 
look at the web. You don't have to like go into the world or maybe interact with most people or read other people's ideas to to form your own opinions and ideas. I, I think that's super cool. Or, or what do you think? I don't think that's genius level. I think that would be me calling myself a little egomaniacal, but I would feel that it's some parts of level of observance. So when you look outside, what do you see? And you got to think about it from three different perspectives. And that's what's going to be in my second book. It's going to talk a lot about perspectives and how if I look at something from a answer, a child's point of view, what are they going to see? If I look at it from my point of view, what am I going to see? And if I look at it from the world's perspective, what am I going to see? And that's yeah, going to show you all the different consequences of your action. Yeah, I, I, that, that's some super cool um, idea too. But I, because I, I was actually about to ask you if you were working on any book presently. Are you? Yes, I am. It's going to be another book of the same genre. I'm keeping the same style, but I want it to go a little bit further. But if I may for a second, on my book, I do not have my name on the front cover. And I do not have the book's title on the side of it on the bind. And it was intentional as I wanted to give a message for people that wanted to buy this. Someone would buy it out of the content and not necessarily based out of me as a person. Cause I believe that you should purchase for quality and not for any other reason for the most part. And the bind itself does not have the, uh, the book title on it since it is meant to be a special book in your bookshelf. And it's supposed to stand out if you will, by standing in. Maybe one thing I would love to ask is um, how how did you go about um, thinking about these ideas about how to um, about how to convey your styles in the book? About because what you mentioned is quite um, new to me. Well, to convey my messages, I first thought about how I write as a as a writer in general and how I convey myself, and if that is true to me as a human being. So, I first figured out my style and how I write. And from there, I kind of took it in a more casual yet still professional tone of conversation where it's still a friendly system. It's not me talking at you. It's more of me talking with you, which is why I'm working on an audio format. But I also wanted to express emotions directly about the chapter because I think that at some level, we all connect through emotions sometimes better than words. And I think feeling is just a level that is missing in most books. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. In, in the description of the book, you talked about um, everything being equal. Yes. What do you mean by that? Um, what I mean by that is every decision, if you, in a more cosmic sense, is all equal. So when you do one thing, you're losing something else in that regard. So if I were to go out and buy something, I'm going to lose money for, the, for that item. And let's say I decide to go off and write something down. When I write something down on this paper, this paper is no longer the same as it was before. And the pen that I used to write it is no longer the same as how I used it before. So it's all slightly different. And everything, in a sense, is always being used, which relates to entropy. But everything is somehow balanced. Like, let's think about, off the top of our heads, um, carbon emissions. Originally, we thought our actions were going to be fine because we didn't think about it in a broader sense. So when we got our technology increased and we looked at a broader scale and saw what it was doing to our environment and our atmosphere, we then decided to tone it down because we realized our, what, what we were doing to ourselves. And if we were to move to any other energy source, it's going to be the same thing. There's always going to be this downside, which is why in survival-esque video games, you plan to make an infinite loop to where you recycle everything. And that's life, if you will. You want to make sure you go through it at, 100, at close to 100% efficiency so you don't waste anything, so you can live as long as you can. Yeah. So you said some things now which, which we, I, I want us to unpack. And you talked about entropy and um, going through, um, going, going, making life, living life at some kind of 100% efficiency. If we talk about entropy, but because some of the way I think about things is that entropy increases in life, you get, and things fall apart. So as things fall apart, as entropy increases, how, I'm not trying to rationalize that way, how you think everything is equal. I thought about this too, and I realized that my answer was slightly different. And so it's, as we age, because entropy would happen as we're a child and as we grow to an adult. As we age, our scope of thinking changes. 
we stop thinking about ourselves psychologically and we start expanding and thinking about other people and our actions and our effects on other people. And because we're looking at all this different on all these different factors, that's how things fall apart because we're constantly trying to appeal to everyone, if you will. And that conflict is essentially a balancing act that's infinitely changing. Uh, are you of the opinion that like to live maybe a better because now you, you, you say we stop thinking about ourselves a lot. Would you, would you think that we should live life more, more as, pe- as people who think about ourselves a lot or who think about others a lot more? I think we need to be more introspective as a group of people. I don't think it matters necessarily how we live our life, whether we live it more for other people or more for ourselves. Since that's a per- that's a choice that every person needs to make for themselves, but a key trend that I've noticed is that as people get older, they live less for themselves and more for others. So whether that be as a kid, you then go from a kid to an adult is when you start to enjoy others, enjoy their accomplishments, and then as you continue to a grandparent, you can't do too much anymore. But you live to see your kids, and you live to see your grandkids. You said several interesting things there, and I, I, I've not thought about it in the context of how you are thinking about it. I, so, well, you know, you you are seventeen, and we, which is quite somehow young to to help people. How what, what do you think that adults, you know, as old people, adults don't know about growing young people? What, what do you think they misunderstand a lot about growing young people? I think a part of that is the phase of adjustment. So some of, some of the childhoods are always going to be the same, but at some point, I think parents need to let their kid be a little more alone, if you will. Like, let them make their own choices and make their own decisions and have them come to you as the parent to try to then get advice and then get help. Because, sure, a parent can come and tell me anything, but... Yeah. If I personally do not respect my parent, I'm not going to follow it. And that's why kids act out in a way. So if, you, if they come to you with an idea like, hey, I want to do this, then you know they're already invested. So then all you need to do is support them because their own motivations is always gonna, are always going to outlast yeah, any yeah. motivation that someone forces on you. And, and I, I think about it because, because I've thought about this in the sense that as, as a society, we tend to tone down kids, you know, we don't listen to children. We like tell them that like we treat we treat growing young people as if, you know, they're immature or they don't think about the world by themselves or they don't they don't have opinions and ideas of their own. So people don't tend people tend not to listen to, to children. And I don't know why. Maybe it's an effect of industrialization. We just see young people as people who people who don't have opinions, people who don't have uh, clear ideas about the world or what or how they should live their lives, but because for 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 old people or maybe mature people that might be listening, what, what advice do you have to them for them concerning that regard? I mean, I I'm by far not the rule of children, so I think that for most kids they should be more or less ignored until they can prove themselves as a logical young adult that is not necessarily an equal, but has their own thoughts and recollections because I will talk with some of my friends and they won't even either consider what I'm saying or they'll just go off and attack me in my points simply because they don't agree with them, but they can't express how they don't agree. So I think some of it is learning your child and learning how you've raised them as an adult to figure out how you, how you're going to react to them. Cause it's all more or less a dance. And that was in my, chapter one on poem where it takes two to tango but you're only one piece of that so you can always control your reaction but some of it it's just up to chance i i would definitely listen to this conversation again because i want to unpack some of the things you have some of the things you are talking about are quite quite new to me a lot and i think i find them very interesting but but definitely i want to get a sense of of how you see the world i want to get a sense of um, your own worldview as much as possible right now in this conversation. So maybe I'll ask, um, what, what do you think are some of the things we, sh- we should be doing as societies to help improve the human condition? I mean, it does not have to be like a general rule, but like in your own opinion, what do you think we could be doing as a society that could, you know, help us as people? Because 
you might you might agree that maybe the world is going towards a particular direction that that maybe does not seem too bright. But what do you think as people we, we could be doing? That's a difficult question because society is such a big thing where there's so many people doing A, that there's also a lot of people doing B as well. So I would say the thing we should really be wary of, if we will, is think about how our countries are going to react in the future. Because if we learn anything, it's that system scale, if, um, if you will. So if we think back to um, the general format of the United States or of any country, for, for a matter of fact, it first started as a town, which then grew into a collection of towns, which then formed a state. And those collection of states form a country. Now, a collection of countries is going to form a planet, essentially. And from that, we're going to need to scale our system up as technology expands, maybe not within my life, my lifespan, but as we continue to go to other planets and learn new things about our society, about our universe, and forget less about the day-to-day experiences of living, if you will, and think more of a consciousness as we are one in um, in one in many and forget some of our silly conflicts that we may or may not have. Yeah. So, so I see, I see you are, you are more, pers- you are more optimistic and um, futuristic in, in, in your own thinking. And, um, but do based on, because, because some, some people might argue, some might argue that you are speaking from a privileged perspective. The sense that that maybe maybe you are not in touch with um, how would I put this in touch with some of the daily realities of some other people. You get some other people who live through this conflict and um, and who experience it on a very personal level. So how how for them how how do you think they should start you know thinking in the sense that how how do they because they live through it how. How do they elevate their thinking beyond beyond the conflicts that they are, they are passing through or, or the problems they are facing at that moment? So I'm going to start off with the fact that I could come off as naive and that I really could be if in, all, in reality. I really could be naive depending on your audience. But I think of life as a wave. And in that wave, you have your lows and you have your highs, but you need both of them to appreciate each other much like how when you want to get the perfect angle on something or you want to write something perfectly, you need to use two fingers with counteracting forces to experience where you want to go. So as much as you need the good, you also need the bad. You need to understand that once it gets low, it can only necessarily, it can only get better, but depending on how low it gets, that will determine the time. But even though this is mostly a rule and it's set, if you will, quote unquote, by chance, you have an effect on it in that you can change your situation every day because you're the compounding sum of your choices. So anything that you do today can be like saving money. You do something today, you do a little tomorrow, you do a little then, and then it all compounds over time. And then you get this big result, like going to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. And, and I love the points where you talked about we are the compounding some of our choices. I think that was a really brilliant um, concept. Oh, for human nature, because we, we because you, you talked a lot, you know, you, you talked a little bit about change. For human nature, do you think human nature can be changed? Maybe in technology wise, maybe I don't know in any way. But what do you even think it should be changed? In fact, I'm not sure if it should be changed. I know it can be changed, but that's going to take time. The thing, the, the reality right now of where we live is that we are trying to fight nature. Now, do I think that's the best decision? Not necessarily, but it's the one that's happening right now. So we could totally override ourselves and through meditating, not necessarily meditation, but through training yourself, you can overcome any sort of biological difficulty through technology. But is it worth it or is it the best decision? I think time will tell. I, I thought about um, as, as we go through life now, because as, as human nature goes, because as, you know, even as society as a whole, the AI and, and um, other, other factors that are in place, 
and with maybe prediction of the singularity, do you think the singularity will ever occur? I don't think the singularity will come. I think there will be potentially a great filter, or I think we've already passed the great filter. And I think we've passed the great filter. Because there's something, because then that will lead us to being in a simulation if there was essentially no quote unquote great filter. But the only reason we, I would think that we would be past the great filter would be because there's no other, if you will, intelligent species that we have found. And because of how much time has passed, I think statistically we have, we're past it because of how little external intelligent life there is because they would have had so much time to manifest. Yeah. Uh, if you think about, think about it in the sense that maybe the cognitive revolution just started maybe, would I say maybe 10,000 years ago? I, I'm not exactly sure. And, and we as sapiens evolved. Oh, I, I, I've thought about it in the sense that maybe this intelligent life have, have, have surfaced maybe <laughs> one time or the other. You get <laughs> in the sense that that was before the cognitive revolution. And right now we, 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 uh, we, as sapiens, we are very smart and, and um, very advanced species. Yeah, right now, the, maybe this intelligent life might have not showed signs during this era. But what do you think? Um, that, that's getting into almost a little bit of a too broad of an area in general to really talk about with accuracy because of how much is unknown and how much is left to statistics. Yeah. So yeah. it's... It's interesting because then what's going to factor into that is thinking about time because a lot of us think about time as a constant when in reality it isn't. So technically, due to time dilation, time isn't a constant anymore, which means that we can't really measure our species versus any other species on a measure of time or learning because who knows what time is for them and where they are in their scope of time. Mm. Yeah. So maybe I should, you know, step back a little bit and, and let's, let's, let's go back to you as a person in general. What, what do you think growing up, growing up and, and, and seeing the world, what were some of the things that really shaped your own thinking? I played a very huge role in shaping your, your, your thinking. I think a lot of the things that shape my own thinking is seeing um, potentially two different, seeing different groups of people, if you will. So, in seeing different um, socioeconomic classes, in noticing them in their reality. So, I might be taking the highest um, level classes at my school, but I understand to a degree of what lower income families look like and what they have to deal with and the struggles that they go through and how real um, subjective struggles can really be. Because Food on the table isn't necessarily my worry, but it's someone else's worry. And that doesn't mean that it should be undermined just because it isn't my fear. And the same thing to me, let's say if I was afraid of something like heights or something, that doesn't mean that should be undermined just because it's not your fear and that we need to understand that we need to come, if you will, together. But there's a level at which there's a different mindset change between higher and lower socioeconomic classes and how in their thought processes. I think um, that's, that's, that's quite, how do I put it? That's quite, mm, that's quite an intelligent way to look at the world from, from a very young age because I think when I was, when I was um, growing up, I, I, I'm trying to think about what I, 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 I thought about the most. <laughs> I don't know if I could really remember now, but I think I was m- more about um, just computers, I guess. <laughs> I, I used to think because I, I grew up in um I, I grew up I grew up with computers around and I, I, I just had like that was only what I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking much about society at all in any kind of framework. But but I think you were quite exposed early to begin to think about these issues, which is quite interesting. And I and I'm really glad that we're having this conversation now and I'm some of these things with you as someone who isn't very, 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 very old. <laughs> so if you had one 
thing because you might have thought about so many things and you know if there's this one concept in the world you had this opportunity to teach everybody what would it be i would think the concept of balance because oftentimes life, I would imagine certain things in life like a scale that changes. So it's as if you're a person on that scale and you run left and right on that scale, shifting the scales, which you can never quite get that center point because you always overshoot. Because that's, if you will, kind of how life is. You just, you want to make more money, so you decide to work harder. You decide you want to. You want to get bigger, so you work at the, you go to the gym more. But time doesn't directly mean that that's your output. I would, I strive a lot on being more efficient since I only have 140, 1,440 minutes in a day. So I would rather put, do more in that time than ask for more time or use more time. Yeah. I, I'm trying to get your your because I, I you 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 said something that that got me thinking right now balance in the sense that I used to think that most times I used to think that there was no sort of equilibrium or balance in the way you are thinking about. It. I used to think about it is either something is depreciating or something is appreciating. So yeah, something is improving for the better, or improving for the worse. That there's no like balance you are supposed to. Rich because I, I've never seen because in my own thinking I've never thought about I've never thought about it that there could be like some kind of equilibrium or balance. But I, I think maybe dwell on it a little and maybe paint a quite concrete picture of why you think that why why you have the concept of balance. It's because something doesn't seem right in our universe. Something that really stuck out to me um was Newton's third law which I'm pretty sure it's the third law, but it's that everything, every force has an equal opposite reaction. And if you think about that, you start to think about life in that type of a sense of this happens. So what is going to be the opposite reaction to, to that? And it makes you wonder for things based in nature. Now, the same thing is created within human beings, if you will, in society, but it's a, it's artificial. It's still there. But that's what leads me to believe we're in some form of a simulation, if you will, because everything's so ironically balanced. Now, maybe let me just pick on what you what, what you talked about about the simulation. I'll just pick on that one, and maybe we should just dwell on it for just a few minutes. If because we, we, off mic, we're talking about computational power started, and now we are, we are speaking about computation. If you feel like we are living in a simulation, like this shit versus a simulation. How? Because you think about the amount of computing power that will be needed for this kind of for, for this kind of um, universe, and because of my, we also talked about you do some kind of simulation of something like that. How? Because I've tried to imagine how big of computational how big of computational resources do you think will be able to simulate our universe? And maybe now we, we now talk about. Whether we are in base reality or we are inside, or whether we are in a meta simulation, maybe a simulation inside a simulation. So maybe those those are maybe few arguments, you know, to counter the fact that maybe we might not be living in a simulation because the computational power is too big. Or what do you think? I do agree. Computational power would be a stretch, but realistically. I'm thinking that the present uppermost uppermost reality to where there's no simulations in can do our entire, can do the entire thing in the size of our computer. I think that it's going to be something that has to deal with, um, if you will, some level of quartz, which is below the subatomic structure of an electron. And I think it's going to be a little bit more relating to three-dimensional stacking, if you will, in computing. Not necessarily a CPU and a GPU that are relatively two-dimensional. Now, I, I've, I've, I've never heard the concept of a three-dimensional stacking. So maybe just paint that picture for me. What, what do you mean? Okay, so I originally made a model of this at some, at some point, I think it was two years ago. So 
I thought about it as in our, our transistors and switches and circuits in a computer have an on and an off. And now that doesn't change with multidimensional um, computing power. I would just assume that it would work more of um, something's always, it's almost like it's not necessarily daisy chain, but data can actually intercept each other and affect each other. So not necessarily quantum computing, but I think it's a mix between quantum computing particle um, particle amperature, if you will, and um, a, a traditional computing system that all works together to create a infin- almost an infinitely scalable um, level of computing power uh, equivalent to AMD's um, Infinity software right now with its infinity, um, infinity cache. Yeah. So, so that sounds plausible in the sense that it could make sense if we, if we say that kind of power, the kind of computational power that's powering the universe in a simulation is, is some is sort of a quantum mechanical. Yeah. And, and now when we think about the enormous possibilities of things that could happen in this universe, you know, things happening on a quantum scale. So it might not be possible to run that on a classical computer. That makes sense in the sense that mm, probably it could be a quantum computer of some sort. And 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 though you you feel like um you feel like there are no extra um extraterrestrial species, more intelligent species than our own species that that could be running but, but what do you think? Uh, you you said that you don't believe that they might exist. But what do you think? Uh, maybe the people or species that are running the simulation. I think that they're going to be just like us, and that's going to be scary. I think they're just going to be they're going to be almost exactly like us, maybe a little bit more. Um, egomaniacal since they think they're above us since we as a species think that we're above anything that's smaller than us so there would it wouldn't make sense to simulate something that isn't themselves if you will if it on this big of a scale unless they're in even something of a bigger scale as in the universe is all a bunch of subdistricts that are combined together to build a bigger thing that we are not able to see yet because of that's relates to another theory that I have, but I think that there, I think it's going to be interesting if we ever were to meet or find the species relating to um, a simulation. But at the same time, the computing power required for it, I think, would be oftentimes a lot less because simulations only simulate when they have to change something. Or else it's just a regular template. So, what you're saying is that because I mean, for like that, your last, the last thing you said about simulations only simulating when they have to change something. So you you don't believe that the universe is changing every second or every minute. I think that if we go through the simulation route, I think that it's almost predefined and someone's just going through and changing maybe one variable or one digit just to see what will happen. Because if you create a simulation um, on your computer right now, and let's say you have a glass of water, if you just open it, it's not going to do anything. But once you try to figure out how that water works and what could affect that water, that's when it has to actually simulate something and when it actually has to change something. Uh, yeah, you said something that, that really relates to there's this small thing I wrote, I shared with some of my friends the other day. I don't know if you want to hear it. It's, it's, it kind of relates to what you just pointed out about how I was, th- I was talking about if we, whether if we, about a creator, you know, a creator and his relation with the universe and how it relates. So I had, I had three, um, I had three scenarios. I'd be interested. Let's hear this. Yeah. So, so now you have, First one was like a universe and a creator. Now, universe, a creator created the universe and just left it to be. You get, and he never interacted with it anymore. He just left it. You get to, to maybe, maybe sort of, you might have heard of um, cellular automata or something. 
So it just left it to move on its own, to thrive on its own. Yeah, like I think world is tribe. You just left the universe to thrive on its own after the, after creating it. Now the second scenario was the universe created the, the creator created the universe, but only at few points in time, just change one or two things. So so it interacts with the universe. Unlike the first scenario where there was no interaction, it just created it and there was no interaction. Second scenario, the creator interacts and you know at one point in time, but rarely do just one or two things and see what happens. While in the third scenario, a creator always monitoring the state of the universe and always changing things and, and, and changing variables and all sorts of things. So I so it was really interesting when when when, when, when I shared it. But what do you think is the more likely scenario of the universe it is with and it states with the maybe creator or controller of the simulation? I do think that I think all three of them are possible. And I think that we would be not changing at all, but then that wouldn't really explain intuition. So at the same time, I, it's either going to be the first one, he just went up and left, or it would be the third one where he's constantly changing everything. But I think that I'm thinking about where this God essentially lives or plays, or this creator, if you will, where he um, exists. I think he exists um, to the opposite of the inverse of a sphere, which essentially would be taking a sphere and then squaring it, which would create the inverse of it, and then dividing that by two would be his plane of existence. But I think the universe in itself is the um, the square root or the inverse of a sphere, as in a hydrosphere is what I think it's called. Yeah. Now, that was interesting, though, because now we if we talk about finding truth, because most of this is quite subjective, you understand? And these are just our su- subjective opinions and, and some of our own thinking. Even, even when you talk about, because I, I, I don't know if anybody could listen to it and say, what are you saying? Or, or for us human beings, what do you think is you know, the best path to truth? What was the base? Is it science or religion or, or philosophy? I ultimately believe that a, that any one person can get by with philosophy and concepts. I think for any per- regular person's nature, that's all they need to be aware of. And I think they should almost back away a little bit from the from science industries because false information can easily be spread around. But I think for those that are in um, those types of industries, I think science is definitely the way to go. I think religion was a psychological coping mechanism with some truth through um, through intuitive nature and potentially shooting shots in the dark that happen to be right. Uh, I I I yes I I was thinking about this too. Although, although I, I, I must confess, I've not landed at maybe a solid conclusion on what I, what I think is the best path. But it's really interesting to hear your own perspective too. Now, if we, if, because if we go back to your own concepts, because your own concepts of everything being equal, you believe now, now I'm talking about equal now, maybe not in, maybe not in the sense you were talking about equalness. Equality, maybe like, let me think about equality in a societal framework. Do you think hierarchies are important? I do think hierarchies are important because some people are not meant to do certain jobs. At the end of the day, that's just it. They can try, they can try really hard. But if there's someone that's naturally predisposed to being better at it and they're willing to work just as hard, you might as well go with that person overall, even though they're technically going to cost more money according to, um, Equality and balance mechanisms, which would essentially be true. I, I think I share that same opinion, but I, I because I, I used to be careful about um, talking about it because uh, because you know, it offends a lot of people. You get <laughs> it offends a lot of people that you say that hierarchies are quite important for successful human communities. People don't believe that, and I and I, and I find it quite surprising though because I, what, what do you think? might cause this denial in people that, why? Because if you look at societal framework and you look at hierarchy, because even if you look at anything in nature, 
almost everything in nature, nature exists in hierarchies. Why do you think um, human beings could be different? Like, I think it's just this egoistic part of human nature that, that tries to, you know, feel quite superior over every single thing. But I, I, I don't know. Do you share that same perspective too? That plays a factor in it, but I think it has to do with how we were raised. Because all of our friends, when we were in a group, right, let's say all of our friends, we all were equal and we had a voice. We did things like voting when we were in groups. Um, We did things that were anti-hierarchical. But as you transfer into adulthood, a lot of your friends are going to be more based on what you do and and who you are. So your friends are almost going to be the combination of a reflection of yourself. So let's say you, I'm a CEO. A lot of my friends would be CEOs making around the same money because they say the closest five friends are the average of your, of your salary, essentially. So since they're reflections of you, if everyone that you know is a CEO, why wouldn't you scale that viewpoint up and think, hey, everyone should be a CEO? Because that's how we are meant to think because that's all we're exposed to, if you will. You don't think about um, it in a broader scale of certain people are just meant to work, not necessarily meant to work at McDonald's, but certain people have chosen and were predisposed to be working at a nine to five job. That's just how their schedule and how their body has been told to work. Yeah, yeah, you said some really interesting things. I, I think I, I agree with most of what you said there. But, um, but if, we, if, if, we, if we leave that concept, you know, a bit, because for most of what you do, and because even the book you wrote is um, a self-help book. You, I, I don't know if you follow most of the trends on the news and social media about, you know, because this year has been full with a lot of chaos and disorderliness and, you know, what I call, you know, just chaos and, you know, randomness. In your own perspective, because maybe you might have a hard time to sit down and think, what do you think you know, could help people as, as societies, as communities, as people? What, what do you think could could be doing, you know, to to bring peace, to bring order in a sense that we could be more cooperative and could be more loving towards one another. I think it's to understand that again, everyone, if you will, has equal struggles, even if they even if it might not appear that way, everyone is dealing with something during this time and that even with all that we're dealing with, we need to understand to include others and to be open-minded with others and not necessarily entire balance principle, but that there's got to be, there's not necessarily have to be a reason for why this is happening, but this was an action that happened. Now we need to work and figure out why, not necessarily why and not necessarily how to prevent, but how do we, collectively live with it and how do we put it put it to rest in our minds because i think it's the mental concept that we first need to break to then get into the actual root problem what i thought about was if <laughs> it was like a techn- technological thing though that what if we were living because if you think about virtual reality and, and the virtual world if we existed in the virtual world i think <laughs> most of these problems could be lessened and people would love each other more because in a virtual world there there seems to be to be would I say infinitely more possibilities. Or or, or um just this kind of boundless freedom in a virtual world and there are no like uh, constraints. So maybe some of the problems we face as people are due to constraints and just um, um, boundaries. What do you think, though? Would you say my own thinking is correct about if we lived in a virtual world, maybe people would be more loving towards each other? I think a virtual world would have some immediate benefits, but as we get, as people age, we would get desensitized towards that thing. And I think it would ultimately spark um, negativity and not necessarily resentment, but it would just spark some form of toxicity. It's hard to explain it, but it's almost 
it's almost like the culture of a of an online video game. You get on, and at the beginning, at launch, it's all great for the most part. You're all enjoying it. It's all amazing. But as you start to put hundreds, if not thousands of hours into it, you start to, um, you and everyone else that's played it, it starts to see the bad in it because of just how desensitized you are to all the fun because of how our brain naturally works to desensitize ourselves to necessarily everything that we're exposed to pretty often. So if we were to think about the shirt that we're wearing now, we weren't thinking about the feeling of it because our brain desensitizes us to the feeling of our clothes. But now once I bring attention to it, we can feel it. And that's the same way with a lot of things. And it brings that uncomfortable feeling when we feel our clothes or when we think about breathing, because it just, it's just something in our biological makeup that just feels uncomfortable. Yeah. I think because our brain is sort of this filter and it tries to filter out a lot of what it's already used to. So maybe at a point, we could just get used to that in which was new. And as time goes, we could, you know, our brain just filters much of the details in which we used to find interesting and, and it becomes something that isn't, isn't really intriguing anymore. Though I, I think this conversation is going well, though, but I, I think I have, let me ask you two more questions before I put you on the spotlight to say anything. What do you think is... Like one of the biggest questions we could be asking now as people, what do you think is one of the biggest questions we could be asking as species? What is the negative impact of every action I make? Mm. I think that's going to be, even though it seems really pessimistic, I think that's going to be how we're going to learn um, about our universe and such. It's through the things that we think are really good right now until we expand our viewpoint, our perspective to see the bad that it can be doing. Yeah, yeah, really interesting because do do you serve like this? Um, how do I put it? Maybe some kind of introspection in the sense that you're trying to check everything, every single thing you do, to like figure out what could you know what could go wrong, what could go wrong. Yeah, because, but you're, yeah, like that's accurate. But you're also searching to see if there's secretly a loophole in my in my belief, if you will, to think that something isn't equal. But so then you can finally be excited about that, overjoyed at the fact that we're not we're not a slave to the balanced system that we have to give up something to get something else. That seems like that'd be a great sense of rejoice. But then that ultimately makes you think, where is that coming from? Still, like that's still a question at the back of my mind. How is this happening? Like, what is this affecting? Yeah, I think there's a really amazing question to do. And it's something that you could ask yourself at very personal level and something that could, you know, always produce different answers. What do you think is the meaning of life? The meaning of life. I think of life, as my friend put it one day, we were talking about life. He said, I think life's just a waiting room to whatever is next. And I thought about that and I think that that's almost as if that's all reality is. And what we do is we cycle consciousnesses through multiple realities that eventually end up to the same point of an infinite um, cycle of ultimately meaningless, uh, meaninglessness in general, because we're here. And for the most part, you can do ultimately whatever you want for the most part. And you then go on and then you pass on to whatever is next. But you get born into this world somehow. So I think it's, a, it's, I think it's just a cycle of recycling consciousnesses, if you will. If I were to comment on that a little bit, do you feel, because that's almost like close, closely, closely um, related to like the Buddhist belief, maybe energy. Yeah. Or I, what do you think? I think there's some level of truth to that. I personally am not too um, into Buddhism to where I would be able to know the ins and outs of it off the top of my head. But what I can say is that Every long-standing religion has had some part of accuracy. So I wouldn't go off and say that that's not, that Buddhism would be wrong or that it would be right. I just think that we need to look for the consistency within Buddhism to our current reality and just be aware of that. 
I think awareness is part of solving the issue because you need to be aware of it first to then go and diagnose it. That, that's, that's well put, really well put. So right now, I, I, I will put you on Spotlight for one minute to talk about where people can find you, anything you want to say to my audience, anything at all, and about yourself, um, any kind of advice you have for them. Okay, so assuming that one minute has already started, my book is called Society, The World in Which We Live. I think it's a good read. My editor thought it was a good read. And everyone I know that has read it has thought it's been a really good read. So if that helps, great. You guys can follow me on Instagram if you guys would like. It is at jonathan.nazario. I have a website set up and I will be hoping to bring new and interesting projects and hopefully working with um, this podcast again. And I ultimately want to further spread my message before anything else. But I don't necessarily want to be known as an author in the future. I want to be... um, distant from that because I don't want people to buy something because of my name, but rather what I have to say. So I do hope that this conversation has at least enlightened some of you and that I have come off as a um, professional image, even with my age hindering me, as that's always going to be at the back of your mind as a person, since um, you can't ignore certain biological tendencies and you can only override so much of what society has told you that age equals wisdom, but it should be the quality of time spent and the quality at which you learned should equal wisdom in itself. So I hope I was able to enlighten you in some way. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I have I had a good time sitting down with you having the discussion and um, I do hope we find another time to sit down and have even more discussions, Jonathan. Of course, that would be amazing. Thank you for listening to the end. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, please contact me on Instagram or Twitter at Hinted Neuron. That's it for me this week. And until then, stay curious.